regarding the Marshall audio Jones, recording of Donald Trump from July 2021, where he was showing classified information to ghostwriters, writing a book for Mark Meadows at Bedminster. Whose ago. reaction would you want to get? I don't know. At least at the top of my list would be Michael Cohen. So when the news broke, I was so excited that the very next day there was going to be an episode of my podcast with Michael Cohen, Political Beatdown. So I asked Cohen, what was your reaction to this audio of Donald Trump? To Donald Trump bragging about having classified records and saying that it makes him cool and how cool is this and doesn't it make him better than Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff General Mark Milley? He's showing highly classified information to basically complete strangers at his property in Bedminster, New Jersey. So, Michael Cohen, what do you think about it? Here, play the clip of my interview with Cohen. I want the brigaders. I want our followers. I want our supporters. I want all Democrats. I want all Republicans and independents to listen to this tape. I'll listen once. Listen again and again and again. Why? Because I would like to know what it is that the Democrats spun, and how this is an exoneration. An exoneration of what? Of the allegation that it was you who wanted to attack Iran, not Mark Milley? That's not the issue here. The issue is, dumbass, that you do not have the right to take classified top secret documents that put the lives of our service members in jeopardy. All right, each and every one of them. You know, we have some brigaders whose family are members. I saw it in the postings and comments. And one is on a is on a ship. What if that ship had to go to the strait in order to protect, you know, whatever incoming was going to be going on in Iran, right? In order to ensure, you know, a successful attack. And now they know that the ship is going to be there, and so they booby trap it and they kill all our our you know marines. You know, they blow up a naval ship. I mean, seriously, the guy doesn't know how to think past his nose. And this is the scary part. He's talking exoneration of something nobody gives a shit about. All right. Nobody cares about your feud with Mark Milley, you fucking infantile <laughs> buffoon. What we care about is our national security. We care about the lives of our service members. All right, who are risking their lives every single day for our democracy. That's what we care about, you dumb shit. But instead, you think it's an exoneration. It's being spun. No, it's not. You're waving around documents. You're showing it to people who have no who have no right to see this top secret information that they are not, you know, authorized by the government to to view it. This is sensitive, highly classified information. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Earlier this oh, man. to E. Jean Carroll, he had to post 110... Did not forget that Donald Trump was sanctioned in another case brought by Alina Haba in the Southern District of Florida. Nearly a million dollars for filing a complaint. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas... Ship. I mean, seriously? The guy doesn't know how to think past his nose. And this is the scary part. He's talking exoneration of something nobody gives a shit about. All right? Nobody cares about your feud with Mark Milley, you fucking infantile <laughs> buffoon. What we care about is our national security. We care about the lives of our service members, all right, who are risking their lives every single day for our democracy. That's what we care about, you dumb shit. But instead, 
You think it's an exoneration. It's being spun. No, it's not. You're waving around documents. You're showing it to people who have no cl- who have no right to see this top secret information that they are not you know, authorized by the government to to view it. This is sensitive, highly classified information that this asshole took and he stored in a storage locker at Mar-a-Lardo. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Earlier this week, Donald Trump... I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch. What we care about is our national security. We care about the lives of our service members, all right, who are risking their lives every single day for our democracy. That's what we care about, you dumb shit. But instead, you think it's an exoneration. It's being spun. No, it's not. You're waving around documents. You're showing it to people who have no who have no right to see this top secret information that they are not, you know, authorized by the government to to view it. This is sensitive, highly classified information that this asshole took and he stored in a storage locker at Mar-a-Lardo. And I'm and you got the Mar-a-Lardo. This fucker needs to be, he needs to be put down. Once and for all, he yeah. needs to be seriously, like he needs to be convicted, he needs to be put into a home confinement situation. Yeah. We need to stop all this bullshit. Could you imagine if this stuff would stop right now, how much more time we would have as America to talk about, seriously, to talk about um, issues that really matter, the economy, we can yeah. talk about infrastructure, we talk about immigration, we talk about military. How about all of our veterans yeah. who are in desperate need of assistance? We talk about mental health. There are so many issues that this country needs to deal with Taking instead of with worrying about Donald Trump's heady fucking bag. fights with anybody that says something that he disagrees with. All right, that's what we need to do once and, and of for course, all. By he needs, down, to, be, he needs to be indicted on that. Yeah. He needs to be prosecuted he like everybody else. He needs to be else. put down like a rabid dog. He needs to be put in front of, whether it's a jury or a bench trial, I don't know, but I would suspect it would be a jury. He needs to be convicted and then home confined. That's exactly what we home need. Home confined, no. Of course, life. by put down, you mean exactly what you just said, held accountable. Yes, I'm not, our... I'm not talking about any violence <laughs> against the man ever. All right, I don't, I truly do not, you know, a lot of people say, oh my God, right. I wish, you know, I wish that Chicken something shit. would happen. I like don't. Everybody else. I don't wish, I don't wish, Fuck you know, that on anybody. All I fry. wish is that he go away. Fry in the electric right, chair, fucker. That he, that we stop talking about him. That Deserves the divisiveness death, between death, Republicans uh, and Democrats comes to an penalty. end before we end up in a civil war type of scenario. We're really not in a good place as a country right now. And I've said this on this beatdown, on our political beatdown program before, and I'm going to say it again. When you have a strong America, you have a strong world. When you have a weak America, you have a weak world. I assure you, if all this bullshit wasn't happening right now, chances are Russia never would have invaded Ukraine. I do truly believe that. Um, we need to be strong. We need to continue to be the greatest, you know, that the, you know, the great country that we are. Our technological advancement needs to continue. We need to create scenarios with whether it's military might to ensure that nobody dares to do anything that could hurt the the earth 
Forget about just America alone. That could destroy our planet. Listen, whether, you know, when if you drop a nuke across the, across the globe, somewhere along the line, that radiation is finding its way to you. No different than what we saw here in New York um, a week or so ago when you had the forest fire in Canada and New York was in fog for three days. I mean, well, where do you think that happened? Because the air moves, right? The globe, the earth spins. I mean, it's just simple to understand. We have one planet. We need to protect our environment. We need to protect the water. We need to protect the fish, our food supply, trees, the whole bit. Instead, we're concentrating on Trump's petty bullshit with people like yeah, Mark Milley. Exactly. Fuck that. Almost, yeah. All right. In an interview thereafter, the first thing Donald says is, I never saw I never saw the interview. Right, Donald, you don't see an interview. You hear the interview, right? It's a tape. But let's even put aside the fact that he doesn't understand the distinction. First of all, he's making claims that they were newspapers that he was ruffling around. No, they weren't. And let me tell you how you know that they weren't. First of all, newspapers are not prepared by the military. His words, this was given to me by the military. Right. That's not newspapers. On top of that, um, you'll declassify newspapers. Why did he then turn around and said, I could have shown it to you, but, you know, when I was president, I could have declassified it. This is the problem. Donald Trump, the, every time he opens his mouth, he puts himself behind the eight ball. Good for the American people, bad for Donald. Despite the fact, I got to be... Uh, you know, again, I scratch my head and I wonder, what do we as the brigade need to do to get through to these fucking cultists who no matter what Donald does, despite the fact Donald Trump, and I'm going to say this right now, is the single greatest danger to American democracy that exists right now. The fact that you can show these type of documents to somebody who does not have the proper clearance makes Donald into a clear and present danger. And I say this because let me just tell you what what this is all about. And um, very soon on my podcast, Maya Culpa, I have Malcolm Nance, who's an expert in this field, who has explained this to me at length. What happens with this type of information? If, in fact, that our military was interested in preparing an attack or to conducting an attack against Iran, what these documents would do is it would show the route, where the military would come in, how that they would conduct this military exercise and so on. Well, if that ever fell into the hands of the Iranians, what, what happens? They then set up their military, they set up armaments in areas that they know the American planes or tanks or soldiers are going to be coming in, and then they kill Americans. Does Donald give a shit? The answer is no. No, Captain Bonespur doesn't give a flying fuck about any of this. And so he is putting America's national security, he's putting our brave men and women of uniform in harm's way. And again, as I have said hundreds of times on this show and others, he just doesn't give a shit. Right? It's not his ass that's on the line. He wasn't going to fight for this country. He just doesn't care. And that's the biggest problem. And then 
at the very end when he says to the staffer or the journalist or whoever it was that he's talking to, well, this exonerates me. So my question to the brigade is exonerates him from what? What is it that he's talking about? This doesn't exonerate him from being in possession of documents that do not belong to him, that belong to the American people, that was supposed to be in the hands of NARA, the National Archives, pursuant to the Presidential Records Act. This doesn't exonerate him from shit. So he's conflating multiple things all at the same time, which is why it's so comical when they turn around and they say that Joe Biden, when he speaks, you know, is incoherent. Who the fuck even knows what Donald is talking about here? That's a great point. And you mentioned what can we do to try to communicate bad. And there you have it, folks. Cohen put it into completely, completely the appropriate perspective. There's not a matter of Democrat, Republican, independent, non-affiliated with political party. This is just common sense. This is common sense stuff, folks. We need to just call it out. It's blatant, disgusting, despicable criminality before our eyes. And I'm going to call it out here each and every day on the Midas Touch Network. So thank you for watching. Subscribe to Political Beatdown on audio. It's free. Wherever you get podcasts, just search Political Beatdown. Um, and subscribe to the Midas Touch Network on YouTube. Just hit the subscribe button. It's free as well. We like free stuff here. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Thank you so much for watching. And uh, see you on the next political beatdown. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report. Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, mm -hmm. at Midas Touch, to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. When I learned the news that Rudy Giuliani was cooperating with special counsel Jack Smith, and agreed to a proffer session to provide all the information Giuliani knows about Donald Trump. You know where my mind went right away? What does Michael Cohen think about it? And then I realized, well, the great thing is I co-host a show with Michael Cohen mm -hmm. called Political Beatdown. And guess what? I could ask Michael Cohen directly, or as Cohen, as Cohen calls him, Rudy, Duty, Kaludi, Giuliani, and ask Michael Cohen, what do you think about Giuliani seeming like he's flipping on Trump and cooperating with special counsel Jack Smith? And Michael Cohen gave me a pitch-perfect answer. Play the clip. Look, one thing for certain, Rudy Giuliani knows this game. Rudy Giuliani was the head of the Southern District of New York's criminal division. That's the place that they came after me at. Rudy Giuliani knows the game. He knows it very, very well. And he's playing why, why the game known to, be so to corrupt. his benefit, or whatever benefit might exist. He's playing it to the 10th degree. And none of this is going to ignore to Donald Trump's benefit. Donald is going to end up going down. Now, it's so uh -huh. funny because I hear this all the time, and my response is always the same. People say, yeah, 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 but, you know, uh, you got Alvin Briggs' case right now. You got a Tish James' case. You also have now Jack Smith's case on the Mar-a-Lardo document. Soon there's going to be, according to reports, uh, Georgia is going to file. And the January 6th looks like they're finally ramping this up as well. There's so much that's going on. And I say to people.
microphone. And I'm saying it to my brigaders here, so you understand where I'm coming from. Why are we handicapping which illegal act is worse than the other? And I explained it to someone like this. Two people get into a fight, and one guy slaps the other guy in the face. That is still an assault. Okay, second scenario, we'll call that the Alvin Bragg case. That is still an assault. Same case, but now the guy goes ahead, closes his fists, and hits him in the face. It's still an assault, though the damage is obviously going to be worse with a closed fist than with an open fist. No, maybe don't laugh at me if I tell you my story. Don't grab me here. Took me time not to find by me. Again, it's an assault, and again, the consequences are greater, but nevertheless, it's still an assault. Why are we playing handicapper here? Each and every one of these acts are illegal, and each and every one of the prosecutors will put on their case in order to hold Donald Trump and others accountable. Plain and simple. So stop worrying about which case is worse uh, than the other, which one should go first. Does anybody really care? And I refer to this continuously, whether it's MSNBC or CNN or in the press, as the Al Capone theory. They could not get Capone on murder, extortion, racketeering, uh, bootlegging, whatever. They got him on tax evasion. It is still a crime. And Teflon Don is going to be held accountable. You can mark my words on that. When we first started the beatdown, and I said, I see superseding indictments coming. You know, one thing about Jack Smith is that he's methodical. And he's methodical in that he starts with A, and then he'll work his way to B and then C all the way down till he finishes getting to what's left, you know, as they, as they would say, you know, whatever's, whatever meat's left on the bone. Rudy Colludi, drunken Giuliani, mm-hmm. is going to be just like so many thrown under the bus by Donald. He's going to get run over. And the fucking craziest thing is when he looks up as that bus is just about ready to run over his sternum. He's going to look out the window. He's going to look up and looking out the window to make sure that he's running over the body. But good is going to be Donald driving the bus because that's what Donald does. He doesn't give a shit. And Kaludi, like so many of us, for some unknown reason, we think that things are going to be better, that Donald is never going to do that to me. Now, another thing that you remember, we talked about it on our last um, episode with our brigaders, turned around and I said, that somewhere along the line, Rudy Kaludi is or spoke about having an insurance policy. I truly wonder whether he spoke about the information that he was referring to, what he termed to be the insurance policy to ensure that he doesn't end up like I did. Behind, you know, well, I wasn't behind bars until, of course, the solitary confinement, but you end up in a federal correctional institution. I assure you, that's not where Kaludi wants to spend his last day. When somebody that's within his inner circle, while he was doing bad things, go and provide the information to a prosecutor, in this specific case, Jack Smith, right, in order to use 
when there's already an indictment pending against you. And hence, of course, the term, the superseding indictment. Do I believe that Rudy will provide information? Uh, absolutely. The problem, again, that he's going to have, and I'm talking about Rudy in this case, is that Donald doesn't use emails. He doesn't have an email address. He doesn't use text messaging. So he's going to have yeah. to use other people as corroborating witnesses in order to validate what it is that he's saying. But there's a lot more here than meets the eye. There are things that we don't even know that um, Jack Smith is looking at. I mean, it was something like 20 to 35 additional counts that they're contemplating on bringing, which would bring it up to potentially 70 plus um, counts against Donald. Nobody. I don't no, care like how Teflon you think you are. You're not Teflon enough to count. escape 70 counts, especially not, again, when you have a prosecutor already. with the qualifications uh, as Jack Smith has. There you have it, folks. I love hosting Political Beatdown with Michael Cohen. Are you subscribed on audio to Political Beatdown? If you're not, make sure you subscribe right now. It's free to subscribe. Subscribe to the Midas Touch Network. And, oh, I can't wait for next week's show with Michael Cohen. Have a good one. Hit subscribe. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch, to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Things are heating up in the frivolous $500 million lawsuit that Donald Trump brought against Michael Cohen, my co-host on a political beatdown here on the Midas Touch Network. And we checked in with Michael Cohen on political beatdown to see what's going on with that case. And Michael Cohen read for us exclusively here on the Midas Touch Network on political beatdown. The reply brief that he and his lawyers were filing in the Southern District of Florida Federal Court where Donald Trump brought this ridiculous claim. And Michael Cohen also mentioned that he has set the deposition for Donald Trump last week. And Donald Trump has tried to avoid this uh, deposition. Donald Trump brought the case and is trying to avoid having his deposition taken in a case where Donald Trump is the plaintiff, just the coward that Donald Trump is. But let's hear it in Michael Cohen's own words, what's going on in his case where uh, he has filed a motion to dismiss Donald Trump's $500 million BS lawsuit. Play the clip. You'll understand just how good the lawyers are that I have on this specific case in order to hold Trump accountable. We received, as you may recall, we received the $500 million lawsuit. We put in our motion to dismiss. They put in their reply. We get an opportunity to put in what's called a sir reply. And so that's what we're putting in. And that should be filed within the next, I would say, hour to an hour and a half. But just to give you a quick idea, because it's obviously many, many pages, the preliminary statement gives you a great idea on just how qualified my lawyers are, Donya Perry, uh, as well as Ben, um, ben Brodsky. I mean, down in Florida. Uh, Donya, of course, here in both New York and Florida. But I got to be honest with you, 
I want you to hear the preliminary statement because you'll understand where the money is going and exactly what it's doing. And unlike Donald Trump, I don't have the ability to use 90% of the funds for my own purpose. It is all specifically for Donya Perry and for Ben. All right, so here it goes. Plaintiff Donald J. Trump's sprawling and frequently incoherent complaint appears to have two aims, retaliating against and intimidating Mr. Cohen and distracting from Mr. Trump's mounting and serious potential criminal exposure. Asserting cognizable legal claims was apparently not a goal. And indeed, Mr. Trump fails to plead essential elements of each of his purported claims. In addition, some of Mr. Trump's claims are clearly time-barred, as they are based on events that occurred well outside the limitations period. As Mr. Cohen showed in his motion, each one of Mr. Trump's claims should therefore be dismissed. Now it goes on and on, and it actually gets even worse. But I don't want to go into too much of the detail and so on. But it is a basically a one-page preliminary. All right, yeah, I'll give you a little more. It's give us a little more. Right? Come on, right here. <laughs> Mr. Trump's response fails to show otherwise. As for the statute of limitations, Mr. Trump's arguments for the application of a longer, more favorable statute of limitations are based on misconstructions of the relevant facts and law, dicta from in opposite cases, and mischaracterizations of his own allegations in the complaint. Moreover, Mr. Trump cannot identify any persuasive reason why Florida law should apply to his claim, given that the party's relationship was centered in New York. And indeed, Mr. Trump's revelation in his opposition that the confidentiality agreement contains a New York choice of law clause provides yet more support for that conclusion. I mean, it is truly, as I said before, it's truly a, um, it's a masterwork. Of, all right, I, I got to just give you a tiny bit more. Give us a tiny so, bit. Mr. Give us a tiny bit more here. Mr. Trump's arguments on the merits fare no better. By and large, rather than identifying specific factual allegations in the complaint that would make his claims cognizable, he instead points to the very same conclusory allegations that only underscore the insufficiency of his pleading, the incoherence of his legal theories, and his entirely speculative damages claim. I mean, like I said, this case lacks merit, was retaliatory, the whole goal is to financially hurt me as if that hasn't already happened enough. We're not going to let that happen. And thanks to folks like yourself and thanks to others uh, who have found it on social media uh, with the GoFundMe. If in fact you haven't, please, I ask you to, you know, this is so important for holding Trump accountable for this malicious prosecution, this retaliatory action, simply to stop me from, you know, being able to testify or to provide continued cooperation to the various investigations that are currently pending. I won't let it happen. I do need help. And short of that, I promise you that if you read Guido's documents and then compare them to Danya's and to Ben's, there is absolutely no correlation between the quality of legal, um, you know, uh, or uh, scholarship here. Then, um, you know, it's just there what is no is comparison between the two works.
you look at Donald Trump's lawyers, whether it's Brito in your case, or he filed some other 800 billion trillion, you know, Dr. Evil lawsuit against the Washington Post, just making up imaginary numbers. I think it was 3.2 billion. <laughs> he brought like a, the lawyer who filed that for Donald Trump was a solo practitioner who I don't think had ever filed the defamation case before. <laughs> and so these are the people lining up to learn the lesson that MAGA stands for, make attorneys get attorneys something that you've learned a long time ago and that you told everybody and warned everybody this is what was going to happen yet apparently they don't learn their lesson or they want their five it should also be ben make accountability great again <laughs> i like make accountability great again but then i don't want to I don't want to re I don't want MAGA to mean anything positive because it is. Uh, right. it, 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 you are right. Um, okay. One of the things you mentioned there as well, though, and I'll just point out to our viewers, it was interesting what your lawyers pointed out. So Donald Trump brought this case, um, probably in a venue that it shouldn't have been brought in. But Donald Trump's lawyers don't even realize that just because the case may be pending in the Southern District of Florida, in Miami Division, that doesn't mean Florida law applies. And the law that's applied has to have a nexus to the underlying conduct that is at issue. So Donald Trump apparently was citing all of this Florida law in his brief. And what your lawyers were pointing out to the judges the lawyers at the most basic level are citing the wrong cases. And do you know what the nexus to Donald lawyers and um, are using in order to try to create the relationship to Florida? That's the you, that you, that we have podcast viewers who are in That's Florida. Right. Political beat. <laughs> My books, both Disloyal and Revenge, have been sold and purchased in the state of Florida. And therefore, that's the nexus. That is the most ridiculous argument that one can possibly make. And worse, in their own papers, in their opposition papers to our motion to dismiss, they turn around and they cite inaccurate uh, case law in order to try to prove that they are, uh, their position, that their causes of action actually have merit. It's really a piece of writing, and um, I do expect us to be, uh, you know, successful in this. I will also tell you and the brigaders that tomorrow is the day that Donald was noticed for the deposition. And the other day, and I mean like yesterday, uh, my counsel received notification from Burrito that they were not going to go forward uh, with it because either Donald is out of town or Burrito is out of town and, of course, provides no alternative date uh, for the deposition, still, of course, remaining of the belief that they can ask for and that they should receive 90 days post the election in order to be deposed. I mean, this is legitimately how ridiculous that this case is becoming. The only problem, again, of course, is you got to finance these cases. And Donald knows that. And it's a old Donald Trump play from the playbook, which is, you know, 
first of all, he doesn't pay the lawyers, so it's not as if he's worrying about the legal fees associated. But when you have a $500 million lawsuit brought against you personally, regardless of how stupid and ridiculous um, that the case is, you still have to defend it, and it's very expensive. I really like the strategy here by you and your lawyers, which is a common sense strategy here given the type of litigant you're dealing with, but not everyone would pursue this strategy, which is normally you may want to do discovery requests, like document requests and interrogatories and requests for admission, then do, then do the deposition. But look, Donald Trump has made so many statements, incriminating statements publicly, at his events, on his social media platform, that you pretty much have the body of information. And you know he's just going to play games during discovery anyway if you make those requests. So right out the outset of the case, ask for his deposition. Look, Donald Trump filed the case, so he should be ready to sit for a deposition in the case that he brought. And we all know that he's going to try to avoid that deposition like the plague. I also like that your lawyers have expeditiously pursued this case. Because one of the tactics Donald Trump likes to do is file the case, get the headline, and then just hope the other side, because litigation fees are expensive and no one really wants to be involved in a lawsuit, that because Donald Trump is not going to aggressively prosecute these cases, or frankly prosecute them at all until he gets some order by a federal judge for failure to prosecute the case, he just thinks that he gets his headline and then it goes away. So I like that your lawyers have been very aggressive, set his deposition right away, and look, your lawyers probably knew that he was going to pull this stunt and a day before say, oh, he can't show up for the deposition. But now that's strike one. And then you go back and you say, okay, well then give us an alternative date. When they don't give you an alternative date, then you go to the court and you say, we've been trying to set his deposition. We've asked for alternative dates. We're not getting any. Except, Judge, except you need one, to confront I just got to interrupt you on this one because the one thing tricky. that's not being mentioned here by you is the fact that Donald is the plaintiff. And when you are a plaintiff, it is incumbent on the plaintiff to move the case forward. It is not the responsibility of the defendant to push the plaintiff to be deposed. You, were, you nailed it when you said that you need to be ready. When you bring your lawsuit against someone, you as the plaintiff need to be ready to proceed forward and almost immediately. Right? That's not what Donald's doing here. He's telling me he's so busy right now. And the funny thing is, you know what he's busy doing? My understanding, he's on the golf course. Right? Or yep. he's entertaining people at Mar-a-Lardo. There you have it, folks. Thank you so much for watching that. Again, it's such an honor to co-host the show with Michael Cohen to get his perspective, to share his Michael perspective Mussolini. with you, uh, the Midas Mighty and the Political Beatdown Brigaders. Make sure you all subscribe to the Political Beatdown oh, Podcast, wherever podcasts are, are available. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Hit subscribe. We are on our way to 1.5 million subscribers here. Check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. And, uh, my guest today is Mike Green, the president and CEO of Human Rights First, an organization that challenges domestic extremism by bringing to bear its expertise in research, policy, law, and technology, 
to uncover the movement, expose its tactics, and uphold human rights. Mike is also a fellow vet and will be a regular guest on this show. Welcome to Against All Enemies. Thanks, Ken. It's good to be here. Congratulations on the show. Mike, thank you. When, when most Americans think of an organization with international reach focusing on mm. human rights, I'm betting they don't typically imagine that organization tackling extremism at home. Why is that a priority for human rights? Well, we've been, as an organization, it's been the forefront of standing against various forms of, of hate uh, against vulnerable communities around the world for a long time. So that's part of our, our history. Uh, and that includes opposing the rise of anti-Semitism in places like Hungary and elsewhere in Europe. Uh, it includes fighting uh, against anti-Muslim bigotry in the United States and in Europe for a long time. Um, but I think the deeper, the deeper truth that drew us to the challenge is that human rights is impossible without democracy. Um, democracy is the system of government that says everybody's voice matter, and that says that the individual is, is a sacred part of the, of the collective whole, right? It's, it's a society based on the idea that everybody's voice counts, uh, and a society based on the idea that the law protects us all, no matter how unpopular we are. That's also the heart of the human rights idea. Uh, and so when we saw that under threat in our own country in a way that I think based on international experience, you know, you can do pattern recognition having worked in a lot of places around the world and you see societies kind of fall apart. Um, and you look at that and you say, okay, if I recognize these same dynamics in play in my own backyard, uh, I can't continue to work internationally if my own house might be on fire. I, I got to step up and do something about it. And so that's the decision that we, just, we made. The white supremacist strain that infects groups like the Oath Keepers and Three Percenters has a long history, but it has a new valence today in a country that is going to be majority-minority. Uh, I can't remember the year, but it's right around the corner. I think it's a great thing. But to these groups, it is an existential threat. How has their, how has their strategy and tactics evolved from you know a time when they were Putting down uh, minority communities to now when they when they feel like they are fighting for their very survival. How is the the violence ramped up? How has their rhetoric changed? Yeah, Ken, I think it fits an international pattern. You know, it fits a pattern we've seen in our own history in the U.S. and that we see around the world. Um, and as you say, you know, it happens when people feel like they will be unable to keep power through normal politics. And so they've got to go to politics by other means, which is, of course, how, you know, Clausewitz supposedly defined war, right? That's, that's when you tip into violence. Um, and it fits, a, it fits a pretty standard pattern. Um, you try to set yourself up as the champions of some in-group. Usually it's defined religiously or ethnically. In the U.S., it's, it's white supremacy. You say everyone's out to get you and we're, we're your only defenders and champions. The government uh, won't protect you anymore. Um, in some ways, you raise the fear that, you know, if we're not in charge anymore, we're going to be treated the way that we treated others in the past. So the wheel will turn and we'll be on the bottom. And so there's a bit of an admission there <laughs> as part of that pitch. And then you try to ramp up the level of threat that everybody feels, uh, because even if nobody likes you now, uh, the more terrifying the environment becomes and the more violent you can make it, the more people will kind of turn to you for protection. 
Um, and this is straight up the Al Qaeda playbook in Iraq, you know, from 2004 to 2006, 2007. They provoke a civil war with the Shia majority um, and then position themselves as the only defenders uh, of their Sunni brethren who they, of course, put in this mess in the first place uh, by escalating violence. Um, it's a pretty standard tactic. I mean, you can look back at how, you know, a whole host of insurgencies have started and it's it's usually by ramping up the level of violence and then saying we're the only one who can protect you. Uh, so in a sense, you're an arsonist out there selling fire insurance, uh, and that's how insurgents do it. Um, and that's that's what we see now. I think that AQI, Al-Qaeda in Iraq example, is, is really interesting because it speaks to the... relative strength of, of these groups demographically, you had the Sunni minority in Iraq rising up and attacking in an in a, uh, asymmetric way the Shia majority. And I just find it really insightful that you use that as, as the example for what's evolving here, because you have a white supremacist minority now that is picking fights with the the much larger American populace that doesn't want that, that is reflective and valuing of diversity. Um, and, and the interesting thing from a historical perspective is that the white supremacist movement today and groups like Oath Keepers and Proud Boys is the inheritance. This is a big one. We have followed the impact of lies and conspiracy theories in our politics, in our media ecosystems, and in courts where there have been major consequences. You know that if you follow the news. In the news tonight, Fox News hit with a new punishing defamation suit. If you're counting, this is the third. It has to do with January 6th. The issues there are about civil court, not criminal. We've covered the criminal side of this many times. The civil side is whether there were people who lied and sent people off to the insurrection, or lied and defamed people in ways that damaged them or their companies. Now, the people who have sued aren't always Fox haters or critics. The voting company that got over half a billion dollars out of them certainly didn't have a, any long-standing grievances with the company. They just were able to get so far in their punishing lawsuit that they got over half a B out of Rupert Murdoch and then got Tucker Carlson and was ousted shortly thereafter. I say that by way of introduction before I bring James Carville back because this new suit, which is so important, comes from a Trump supporter, Ray Epps. He says that Tucker Carlson, the former Fox host, who again, ousted after a different lawsuit, was at a illegal or defamatory level peddling knowingly false conspiracy theories specifically against him. He says, quote, Carlson was telling a fantastical story in which Epps was some sort of undercover FBI agent responsible for the actual mob that broke into the Capitol. So what you're about to see is what we've warned you before, not offered as true, not offered as something you should believe, I say that as introduction, but offered as evidence in another case that could seriously change what Fox says, who is employed by them, and what is fed out to their loyal audience and parts of the Republican Party. That's why I tell you, this ain't a media story. We don't usually lead with strictly media stories like, you know, critiquing a New York Times article. This is a story about something much larger. Here is some of what Tarko Carlson said about this person suing him. 
a man called Ray Epps. Epps was in Washington the night before, January 5th. This Epps guy, a photo of Ray Epps, new reporting on Ray Epps. A mysterious figure called Ray Epps. It went on and on like that, and the videos do show that Epps was on the Capitol grounds on the 6th, though there's no evidence he entered the building. Epps said that he and his wife are receiving death threats. They had to sell their business. They left their home, community, and even state to get away from what they argue in court, what they argue in this new lawsuit was a knowingly false defamation conspiracy theory designed to hurt them, and it did. Now, Fox has settled two major suits with Dominion and then an ex-Tucker Carlson producer. And, like I mentioned, there's other suits that are putting major pressure on them. Indeed, Smartmatic, a different voting company, has a $2 billion-plus lawsuit against them. I want to bring in James Carville, as mentioned, the political strategist, the Clinton advisor, the longtime Democratic guru. Uh, welcome, sir. Thank you, Clinton. Good to have you. I'll, I'll let the viewers in on a, a, a little side note, which is people Thank like me Clinton. and you, people who chew on this stuff. If we run into each other at a, a conference or in Washington, you and I might talk about media. Sure. Um, I sure. underscore, I don't usually lead the news program with just stories about other media, whether it's the Times, the New Yorker, or Fox, it seems that the increasing expensive pressure on Fox as an organ of right-wing uh, information, as an arbiter of the Republican Party, that this is also a political story. I'm curious what you think. <clears throat> well, it is, and I'm associated with Media Matters, which, of course, has done a lot of exposure of, of, of a lot of stuff that goes on at Fox and in right-wing media. If you remember right after January 6th, and it Everybody seems to forget that Fox Network was created as a propaganda wing of the Republican Party. Duh. No, I'm trying to why you don't get so I said it was really Antifa. Out of it. And they were up to it. But of course, and there's no such thing as Antifa, so you can't defend it. It doesn't exist. such organization, there's no Antifa headquarters, there's no Antifa board. So if they would have just stuck with Antifa, it'd have probably been okay. But then they single Mr. Epps out, and I, you know, of course, it's, it's, a, it's a file, and it's a lawsuit. It, it, the defense hadn't had a chance, but all of it seems pretty true. I mean, the, the, the stuff him saying about Mr. Epps, that people in Arizona, I, I bet you that he's telling the truth when he had to move and he had death threats and everything else. I, I, they should have just stuck with Antifa, which, is, which doesn't exist only in their mind. But once they went to an individual, uh, that, 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 that's a little different. That's not a, a general thing. And, and what is it? A lot of this is a, big yeah, this is a, a simple question, James, but sometimes I ask a simple question. What does it tell you? Uh, that even for the Fox audience, forget the rest of the country, even for the Fox audience, the truth wasn't going to work. The truth that Donald yeah. Trump and these other officials and other people that were documented by the January 6th committee and, and elsewhere led this thing. 
that that didn't work. They couldn't they couldn't stick to the truth. So as you say, they had to actually start blaming other people for what we all know was a Trump rally that turned into a Trump insurrection. They were desperate to have an answer. It was bad optics of people beating up policemen and, and breaking into windows. All right. And their audience desperately needed another explanation. And if they were going to keep their audience, they had to supply. The Antifa thing fell apart. So Mr. Epps was the remain the man. And the, that audience, they just can't let it go. They have to. It's a giant monster that you have to feed every night. And. That, that's what happened, of course, with the Dominion. It's going to happen with Smartmatic, and it's probably going to happen with Mr. Metz. That, that was an expensive diet they were on feeding that monster. They ate too many cheeseburgers. Their butter is a clogging up. And people are coming back after him, I, I, I promise you. And that, yeah, I don't know, you know, you, but this case doesn't look frivolous to me. But we'll see. No. No, and it's, it's, it may not be at the scale of the voting company, which goes to the damages, um, but they have another voting company case pending. They have over half a billion. They got rid of Lou Dobbs. They got rid of Tucker Carlson. They paid off Tucker Carlson's producer. You know, we live in a country sometimes where it's like we all get this heroin level demand. People, I'll tell people three things. Someone will go, yeah, but, but show me when there's results, Ari. And I'll say, those are the results. And here's another one. Um, and I, I get that certain things move slowly. Um, but they certainly, at a political, business, and audience level, are paying for it. Uh, then you have, of course, the role they play in whether there's going to be any alternative to Trump. Uh, we, you're here, so we want to get you on this. Uh, there have been Republicans that want to get Murdoch um, to see them as the alternative. Uh, Ron DeSantis, before he ran, was seen as that option. As you know, the New York Times, though, says DeSantis has actually started to lose so badly that the Murdoch empire is turning on him. There's skepticism. Uh, the shine has come off the campaign. Rolling Stone put it like this. Murdoch's sour on DeSantis. They can smell a loser. Polls show him plummeting uh, by over 20 points. Um, what does it tell you, James, that the idea of DeSantis at a distance is apparently playing differently uh, than the actual real DeSantis uh, now that he's running? Well, personally, when you advise a candidate has to go out, be, go out and act human, you're not starting in a good place. <laughs> Don't forget to be human. It's like people in the eye and shake hands with him. But DeSantis' big problem is he touched the king, Trump. And he grazed him. He didn't kill him. And they're mad at him. And he, he made the unbelievable error. If something happens to Trump, let's say he has a, a catastrophic legal uh, case, or let's say he has some health issue, I'm not going to wish out on anybody, but if something catastrophic politically or otherwise would happen to Trump, they're not going to go to DeSantis. The candidate. You don't even think he's second. It. He's not even no. second to you. The, the one that they will go to is J.D. Vance. He's the heir apparent for the MAGA crowd hmm. because he's never crossed. All the people that crossed Trump, they're done. Because it was like mm. our guy was under siege by, you know, the, the deep state, the globalists, the leftists, the, the, the corporate media, and you were piling on him. And they, they, all these guys are going to pay a price, and it, it's not going to go away. It'll go into the out years. But they, they tried to do Trump in, and they're going to be viewed as traitors. Don't, don't ask me to make logic out of it, but that's just a fact.
Yeah, no, you're just analyzing it. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, before we move right off this, this is some other stuff I want to ask you about. Uh, we did check the tapes. You know, we do our homework on the beat, James. Uh, right. You're known, you're known for your work. You know, you mentioned Media Matters, critic of Fox. Um, but you've been around politics long enough that back in the day, you did pop up there every so often. We have the tape. Let's take a look. <laughs> oh, God. The beginning of the show that there's really nothing he can do. It's just that the optics are bad. No, it's, it's, it, but it's know, leadership. Leadership, uh, James. Uh, he was, they had sanctions that have led. They had the sanctions done before this ever happened. Yeah, and, and the United, what they the do? United States Putin's government still told people not to fly over this area. All right. As a political <laughs> pro, uh, you've been around. So I guess part of the question is, given everything we just discussed with them, um, is it always the same place? You've interacted with some of the folks there, or do you see something different uh, and more false in what they do today? Well, you didn't have Trump expose everything. We were, we were living under some kind of illusion that there was a Republican Party that tended to like not like regulation very much. It was, you know, pro-tax cuts for the wealthy and kind of fiscally conservative, but not true, but demonstrably not true. And then Trump exposed the whole thing. I mean, he just came along and blew the entire thing up. And, you know, O'Reilly had his own issues uh, since that aired. And now it seems that everybody at Fox gets their issues from time to time. But and they just, they're just they living on the edge. And a lot of them are falling off on the edge. And the only guy still standing is Trump. I got to tell you, he, 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 he's still standing there. And those voters that... Fortunately for us, I don't think there's enough to win a general election, but it's dangerously close to to that. And, uh, you know, there was a big story I read today about the Pew analysis of the 2022 returns and Democratic turnout was not good. we got to get that through our head. We had poor 2022 turnout and we had particularly poor black turnout. And we better figure out, get under the hood and figure out what's causing this, because it is a problem. And I, for whatever reason, it's not discussed sufficiently enough. But I think I think this huge thing will, will, will bring it to the forefront. America has long struggled with how we establish equality while allowing freedom. And there has been a kind of a compromise and an approach on the Supreme Court that has held for a very long time until now. I'm talking to you about what is a new reality for millions of people in America, including LGBTQ Americans, because conservative lawmakers have been going after their rights, trying to break what I call that sort of compromise or equality precedent that we've historically had. Consider over 500 bills targeting these rights in over 40 states this year alone. And the context is not just what politicians might pass in their legislatures. But what the baseline equality requirements are in America, what is allowed? The Supreme Court has long played a role, even in divisive times, to uphold the rights of the minorities. Because, as we all know, if you just have a general vote on things, the majority may oppress the minority. That's kind of one of those things they teach very early on in, well, any school about government and court history. And yet, under this new conservative majority, we've been reporting on many things they've been doing. There's now... This effort to basically take certain cases that then allow for something that the court hasn't said out loud it would allow in decades, which is business discrimination on the basis of identity. This was a 6-3 vote that basically said there's some discrimination that is now okay. And to be clear with you, for decades it was not. But 
this is saying that businesses can discriminate, period. Now, I want to also tell you that Justice Sotomayor authored a blistering dissent saying that there is now, for the first time in its history, that's the break with precedent I mentioned, a business constitutional right to refuse service to people in a protected class. That protected class, class reference is like saying a minority group. And she calls that a backlash to the equality movement and in unusually stark, really almost emotive terms, says this new precedent, this new ruling, is, quote, heartbreaking. I want to be clear about what we're living through because it comes in pieces and it's not always easy to see all at once. But these decisions that we're now living through are the court putting a thumb on the scale, breaking the precedent and changing what I re- reference, that compromise approach, which is not that you have to think anything in America, not that you have to agree with anything. Indeed, we pride ourselves on the ability to debate and disagree. But Since we took down, as a nation, those, quote, whites-only, quote, signs, since we took down Jim Crow discrimination, since we took down those horrific images, which in many schools are still taught as one of the low points of the way we live and how we should never live again, now, today, I'm telling you the news that the Supreme Court is saying you can put up similar signs. They don't happen to say whites-only. They would say something like straights-only, or whatever word you want to use, but the point is... For the first time in decades, as Sonia Sotomayor put it in her blistering dissent, we have the Supreme Court of the United States erecting and allowing new discrimination on the basis of identity. And cue the reaction around the country. Well, some people oppose the decision. Some businesses are going on as usual, meaning they're not going to change what they do. But others are seeing this as a license to do new legal discrimination. Take this hair salon in Michigan, which has announced they will refuse service to certain members of the LGBT community, posting online, this was days after the ruling, and saying they have the right to do it. And as a legal matter, depending on how they do it, well, this is exactly what the Supreme Court wrought. This is a very important story. It's one we've covered in more than one way. And tonight we turn to Chastin Buttigieg, the author of I've Got Something to Tell You, a memoir about growing up and discovering his own identity and his own life and how he wanted to live it in a place called Traverse City, Michigan. That is the same town now under scrutiny over this particular choice by this particular business. And as many people know, and we mentioned this in the spirit of disclosure as covering the news, he's also married to Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. Uh, Welcome to The Beat. Hey, good to see you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, You know this. uh, You're right in it, geographically and otherwise. Um, and I put the first question to you. I, I, we deliberately showed those signs that came down. Um, do you feel like this is, in a way, whatever word you use, straights only or whatever only signs being put back up? Is that okay? Yeah, I think you touched on two really great points. You're free to have an opinion in this country, but you're not free to discriminate. You are less free in this country if you have to start looking up in a directory where you will receive service and where you won't. Uh, and, and the fact that this is happening right here in my backyard, I want to be very clear. I don't think this is representative of people in Traverse City, Michigan. Uh, we moved our family back here to Traverse City. I think it's a very inclusive community. And Traverse City wants to be on the right side of history. This is a town I ran away from when I was younger, convinced that I would never fit in, that I would never know community or family or love here. And now I, I love being here. I love seeing this community um, and progress. Uh, work towards that equality for everyone and the outpouring of support for the LGBTQ community just in the last 24 hours after that 
Facebook post has been overwhelmingly supportive. Yeah, I appreciate the point you're raising, and we, we try to be uh, careful with it in the introduction, but you're, you're reminding everyone uh, the fact that one person, one place is doing this, right, doesn't tell us everything. And then our public response, we talk about free speech in this case, and I'm a big proponent of free speech. That's different than business discrimination, but people can go out on the street or in whatever forum and speak about this. Right now, a lot of the free speech, quite frankly, has been against the discrimination. Um, I mentioned why it traffics in an ugly history. I also would like to get your response, having, having thought through so many of these issues, to the defense of the ruling um, that, for example, Justice Gorsuch makes. He puts it in the language of what he calls, quote, tolerance. And he says, tolerance, not coercion, is the answer. First Amendment envisions U.S. as a rich and complex place where all persons are free to think and speak as they wish, not as the government demands. 